Welcome to episode three of The Hunting Photographer. Today's guest is Craig Francis. And Craig Francis, he's an awesome all-around guy, very smart and talented with a camera. He's originally from South Carolina, was a freelance photographer there for a while, hustled, traveled, 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 and then he took a job at Filson over in Seattle, Washington. He was their content manager. And just recently, um, Craig actually moved to Bozeman, Montana, where he's now working for Sika Gear. So if you don't know who Craig Francis is, be sure to check him out. And another little tidbit here, um, Craig actually was in Bozeman when we recorded this interview, doing uh, some work for Filson and also recording some podcasts for his podcast, which is called the Outdoor Recreated Podcast. And if you go on there, uh, onto iTunes, I know it's up there, and look at episode three, you can actually hear myself and Stephen Drake talking to him on his podcast. So without further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Craig. All right, today we have Craig Francis with us. Hey guys. Holla. What's going on? Uh, we just actually laid down a podcast with Craig. Why don't you just short blurb? on your podcast because it's going to be live by the time ours goes live straight out of the gate plug yeah plug it <laughs> plug it first right when okay. people that's the best way to do it when people are engaged <laughs> yeah there we are um my podcast is called the outdoor recreated podcast it is a podcast for people who work play and recreate themselves outside nice. uh that kind of the impetus of the show is basically just to get guys uh, to talk about guys and gals and anybody that is interested to talk about uh, like what being outside means to you and what it does for your life and your spirit and um, kind of how you came to work or play or do whatever you do outside and uh, a little bit of storytelling and then a little bit of um, kind of deep pontification, if you will, about yeah what uh the out of doors does for your brain and your heart so hell yeah i think it's gonna be sick i haven't heard them all by the time this one comes out there'll be a bunch out but i think it's sweet that you're doing a little deeper dive because everything we're talking about on our podcast leaves you to the deep dive <laughs> <laughs> and it's a good thing to think about well, so definitely check it out <laughs> i appreciate that man yeah uh, our focus is more on getting people into the thread of creating content, shooting photography in the hunting space. Okay. Just getting and, into the hunting space, yeah. Yeah. Photography space. And trying to get them on that pathway um, like you talk about and like we talked about that eventually kind of leads into like a multitude of facets and potential paths. Um, I think the thing for us, since you do work at a brand, uh, you currently work at Filson. I do. I'm the content manager at Filson in Seattle. And that entails what for people? What's the short rundown on your the, position? The short way I describe it is uh, words, pictures, and videos not necessarily associated with the catalog. Um, what are those like outlets then? Yeah, so all of social, uh, the, the Filson Life blog, um, and then any of our paid media placements. Uh, work with our marketing director on that stuff. So uh, Filson is kind of the way that we run content, I would say, is, is different than uh, a lot of other brands that that we would be familiar with. We kind of draw um, a pretty significant line in the sand around the catalog. Mm -hmm. um, the structure of our business is such that 
the catalog is very important and, and gets a lot of uh, the resource and the focus, uh, maybe more so than in other brands. We, we have, uh, and, and that's a little bit due to the history of our brand. It started in 1897. Um, so Gangster. Honestly, yeah, I've yeah, been around <laughs> a long time. Um, cool fact. Yeah. When yeah. I was growing up in Coeur d'Alene, I don't know who the owner is now, but like my parents knew the owner and they had a sick house on Hayden Lake in Idaho. And like we hung out with them and like they had a couple of daughters and they were the same age as us. We totally screwed it up. You know, now what I know, I would have been like, <laughs> hey, let's hang out. But that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you yeah. know? I mean, I don't know who they were. I wouldn't. Um, wouldn't what's the ownership like of Filson now? It's so been now, 100 plus years. So yeah, it's a long so time. Ownership has changed three or four times in the last handful of decades. Okay. Um, now uh, we're owned by a a uh, private equity firm called Bedrock Manufacturing, which is uh, owned by Tom Cartsotis, who was the guy behind Fossil Watches. Mm. Um, we he the Be- Bedrock owns a handful of brands, of which Filson and Shinola are probably the most prominent. Gotcha. Yeah. So do they dictate much of what you guys do at Filson, or are you guys kind of insulated from that? Um, our leadership structure is such that we are given a lot of creative freedom to manage the brand as we see fit. Nice. There are a pretty select group of folks at Filson that uh, are given a ton of um, kind of margin to lead and run and test and try in ways that uh, maybe a lot of other brands wouldn't. so our, our chief creative officer is a guy by the name of Alex Carlton, who really kind of runs the show in a lot of ways. Um, and so while we report in to the board, obviously, um, I think they're, the board is mostly concerned with just like the health and success of the brand, but sure. how, kind of how we get there is kind of mostly in-house, which, which is pretty cool. Nice. Sounds like a pretty solid setup. Um, I think the best way to kind of start this off is to maybe have you give us a rundown of your path. Cause you kind of started in that initial phase, like getting into creating content, kind of running with your own thing. And then that evolved into you wanting a more stable, maybe like brand role, which is what, where you're now at. And I know you have future evolutions sure, of your, sure. yourself, but give us a quick rundown on like your progression through this industry and working and hunting content and just content in general. Yeah. So, um, I think I, I'll probably would probably just start with my family. I grew up in a hunting family and my, my father and my grandfather took me outside as a young kid and, um, was something that was really important to me, uh, in my childhood. And then kind of I, I started playing uh, competitive travel soccer at a high level and ended up getting a, a, a scholarship for that and, and kind of put hunting on the shelf during those years uh, when it was just athletics was my sole focus and then I, I had a pretty gruesome injury in college and athletics was kind of off the table for me and I, what and happened I, 
<laughs> I uh, shattered my leg in a game. I was a goalkeeper on the soccer like team. Tib, fib, yeah, femur. Tib, fib, toes to knee. Dang, dude. Yeah, I've got a. <laughs> You're cr- crushing it, dude. I've got a sixteen-inch <laughs> titanium rod in my leg. I don't know if crushing it is the right. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't know. I call it crushing yeah. it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Your elk hunt last year. I mean, uh, well, I mean that was in, worse. Uh, so, I mean, he crushed his leg. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, bad choice of words well, <laughs> that was uh that was march 12th 2007 was it, did you that happen during a soccer match yep wow yeah. what happened dude yeah nasty. uh so i was a goalkeeper and just came out like on a breakaway and Ooh. um they the opposing team like played a long ball over the top and i i because of the structure and strengths of our team i played my back line like pressed forward pretty yeah. far and the other team had Uh, a guy that ran up top and he was pretty fast. And so they would just try to like lob long balls from their back, like on their side of midfield. And then he would just run onto him. And so a couple of times earlier in the game, they would play it too far and I would come way out of the box and like clear the ball before their player could, could run onto it and basically have a one V one on goal. Yeah. You're the last line of defense. Yeah. And so the second or third time that happened in the game, uh, the the guy uh, from the other team we kind of met at the same time, uh, and I uh, slid to clear the ball, and my right leg was like planted in the ground, and my left leg was out in front of me trying to to clear it out, and he also slid and uh, wasn't like a dirty challenge, but just going but for it. Yeah, I mean we were both going full speed. And he just went all the way through my leg. It snapped totally in half. So the leg, your left leg is what you were trying to kick the ball with. And he was going for the ball and just came straight through your leg. Yeah, through my right leg. Was that like a brutal moment of pain or? Um, I know this has nothing to do with photography, but it's interesting. Well, it's it's a part (laughs) of like, well, it gets there, but I don't, I think the, I don't remember feeling pain like, in the first couple of minutes afterwards. Sure. Um, I, I, it happened. I tried to like get up and run and my leg wasn't there. Yeah. Um, cause my, my toes were like literally like pointed up towards my kneecap. Um, and at, at that point, like I, I kind of like fell back down and like looked and that was a, like that moment of seeing your leg in such a shape was like the most visceral thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> and I think I pretty immediately went into shock. Yeah. And it bet. was like a very kind of surreal experience. My my coach came off the bench and came over onto the field as they were putting me on a stretcher. And I was like, coach, I, I broke my leg. And he was like, yeah, we all heard it. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He was like, sounded like a shotgun went off over oh. at the bench. And I was probably like 50 yards away on the other side of the pitch. Wow. Um, so that was pretty brutal. Um, so all that to say, athletics had become my life. Uh, and I kind of lost a part of my identity at that time. And sure. I kind of floundered and um, made a lot of poor decisions and didn't know how to pick myself back up and like how to be like a functioning person without this thing that I had made so much of myself. Yeah. Um, and so in the years after that, I uh, came to find that being outside was the thing that that kind of uh, filled that bucket that I was missing. And whether that was 
uh, backpacking somewhere. I did a three-month expedition with the National Outdoor Leadership School hmm. in uh, about a year after my injury in 2008 that really kind of charted a course for what I felt I could learn and obtain an experience in the out of doors. Um, and then shortly thereafter, I like needed, I needed a thing where I could access that type of outdoor experience on a more regular basis. And, um, at that time as when I kind of met some buddies at, I transferred schools after that injury cause I wasn't on the team anymore sure. and, uh, met some guys at Clemson university that were big into hunting and, um, I was like, I, I did this all the time when I was a kid, and I haven't done this in a long time. And uh, they were kind enough to take me on some goose hunts and uh, invite me to their property that was nearby to hunt deer, and uh, that was kind of it. Like, I, I kind of replaced the competitive athletic thing with, with revisiting hunting as a way to access the outdoors on a more regular basis. Yeah. And... Um, as I continued to go through school, that was something that I valued a lot. And uh, so you're probably what, like 20? Yeah, this ish? was 2000, 2009 is when I really started hunting again. Okay. Um, I picked up a picked up bow hunting uh, for the first time in my life that year. My uh, best friend Reeves uh, took me to a bow shop, and um, he was like, "Yeah, you, sh- you should get a bow. It's pretty rad." <laughs> and I'd just been a rifle hunter. Um, and a shotgun hunter, uh, my, my whole childhood. And I, um, ended up killing a deer with a bow the next year in 2010. Sick. And it was like, this is it. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm done with hunting with bullets. Like I'm hunting with a bow. This is awesome. So I've been a bow hunter since then. Um, where did the camera fall into all that? Yeah. So that kind of like it, it was I was just trying to navigate like how to, um, how to be involved in the outdoors more. And, um, I was just going on all these hunting trips with these guys, like this crew of folks that were, we're all buddies. And, um, I was doing some, some jobs that like, were just like collecting paychecks and scraping by and just trying to make it and didn't really have something that I was passionate about. And, um, kind of had a series of events like relationally and just life things in uh, late 2012 that kind of made me ask some hard questions about like what do I really want to be doing with my life and um, I had taken a camera with me on that Knowles course in 2008 and uh, knew nothing about photography but got some really awesome pictures around the desert southwest and um I, I kind of revisited that and I was like the, the, the thing that I have loved my entire life has been hunting. And the thing that I think is cool that I have a lot of natural interest in is photography. So how could I come to marry those two things? And so I s- kind of started kicking around that idea. And, um, that was right around the, the beginning stages of Instagram and, and, uh, started, just following folks from out west where like new hunting media was was more of a prevalent thing it wasn't too too much going on in the southeast in 2012 um but um kind of started to concept this idea wherein maybe i could hunt and take pictures 
and people would pay me for it and that would be cool so like at that time had, did you finish college then did you get yeah. a degree yeah i graduated in 2010 i have a community recreation sport and camp management degree hey <laughs> which i have yeah. put, which i have put to great use <laughs> yeah. so then were you working at the time and you started shooting photographs like yeah, what was so, so i um my first job out of school i poured concrete yep it was kind of like a rough economic time um i'd worked at a church as an intern like previous to that but I uh, poured concrete for $8 an hour cash, not like as a legal employee of anybody yeah. for a while. And that's the best job I ever had because it taught me that even though I'm a college educated white male in America, the world still doesn't owe me a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it certainly like works out better in my favor than a lot of folks. But within my own context, it was like, you're going to work really hard and everything that you thought you were entitled to, you're really not, bro. <laughs> so, like, you're going to sling this concrete and be happy yeah. about it because it's the job you have today. Yeah. So I did that for a while and then um, got a job at Starbucks and did the uh, barista thing for a while. And then through that, got introduced to a guy that owned a coffee roasting company uh, in the town where I was in Greenville, South Carolina. And I got a job there as a junior apprentice roaster. Nice. And that kind of set me on a path for the next three years of like diving way into the deep end of coffee and uh, roasting and sourcing coffees from different countries around the world and worked at that roastery for almost two years and then moved to another one that was more focused on importing like higher end coffees that, sure. that brokered deals with like large coffee houses across the country um, and was uh, a, a kind of QC roaster for them and, and roasted for a small shop on the side and um, got really into coffee as kind of like a creative art and, and sure. really like that. Um, did you create any content around that at the time or I were did, you just I, working? A, a in little bit, space? but it was mostly just work. Yeah. And, I, and that was kind of around the same time that I was starting to concept, like, how could I hunt and photo and, like, make gotcha. that work? And so that that kind of spawned into a, a side hustle of uh, creating something that was, like, very popular in, like, 2013 was trying to create, like, lifestyle brands on Instagram. With, yeah. like my, yeah, I my, think it's popular now still. Yeah, yeah, it's still popular now. But I was like... Um, I was like, it would be cool to like hunt and photo and like have like a cool like logo and like have t-shirts and, and like, I don't know, it could be neat. And so I uh, created a thing called Carolina Legacy Outdoors um, and launched that in early 14 and did that for quite a while. And, and um, I guess had some measure of success with that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think it was really that great, um, but got the opportunity to like network with some brands and talk to some folks and um, got some product to start photographing and kind of like went through the paces of like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but like this seems cool. So like, let's go hunt and take pictures of it. Yeah. Uh, just started going with my buddies on like more trips than normal to shoot content um, and put all that stuff out into the world and uh, eventually started trying to navigate some of the new relationships within the industry that I was making and 
was contacted by uh, a guy that runs a, a small boutique agency at, that at the time was in Kansas City. And he was like, hey, um, we manage a lot of outdoor brands, social content. Would you want to come run social at this shop? And I was like, that seems cool. Yeah. It seems like a good path to like more towards where I'm trying to get to. So I uh, moved to Kansas City and did that for a while. Um, and uh, Kansas City was not really for me. Didn't didn't I? I really enjoyed the work that I was doing, but a lot of just like ancillary life things were going on that like I just wasn't happy out there. Sure. And so uh, moved back home to South Carolina and worked remote for that agency in, in KC um, for another few months, and then uh, was approached. Uh, was really starting to kick the tires on like could I make it full-time freelance on my own? Started to pick up a few clients there, um, left the agency in Kansas City, and was like out there on my own, and like trying to make it for a while, and like picked up some work and was doing some cool things, and then uh, got a phone call from uh, a guy that, that owned a large uh, marketing and advertising shop in South Carolina, and um, that, that agency hat was the first agency of record for yeti like way back in the day nice um and he was like hey i, I want to make a um uh, a smaller boutique agency that's focused on outdoor clients under the umbrella of the larger agency yeah and i would i would love for you to be like help me run content for that and i was like okay what in what capacity and we kind of like hammered out the details and so i i came on to work with him while I, I maintained uh, the freelance jobs that I was working on and uh, did that. Do you feel like you had many like hurdles to overcome and like kind of moving from job to job and trying to like handle that business negotiation side of things as you like evolved into new roles or did it just kind of like fall into place for you? Um, Cause it seems like you really started out of this passion and then just like good things kept kind of like snowballing yeah. into something new and something new. I just, I'm curious if you had any struggles or if it just worked really well, well I mean, for you. I think I'm how I'm describing it paints the highlights, right? Yeah. Like I'm not, there were certainly times where I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Cause like, like, like we want to kind of, I think highlight how you like your process, you know? And yeah. I'm, I'm interested in like the nuance Were there, were, were there many things that you really were like, Whoa, <laughs> I knew nothing about that, and somehow it worked out. Um, because I think it probably it feels like it went pretty seamlessly, but I know there were probably some nuances. Yeah, I had a lot to learn about the business side of like how you actually make it work with like pen and paper. Yeah, um, I was very naive to like contracts and rates and deliverables yeah. and things like that. That I feel like most people are. You just kind of like wade your way through it with. Yeah, I think. When you start, you just want to like create, yeah. But like business comes pretty quickly thereafter, right? Yeah. So I mean, there was definitely some like learning curve and hurdles there. Um, I like did a lot of work for way less money than I should have. Yeah. But like I didn't know any better at the time. Sure. And I think that's like a common thing that a lot of guys in this space like deal with, and I that could be a whole different podcast yeah, on its own. Absolutely. Um, well, so you're working for the agency in South Carolina then? 
Yeah, yeah. So I, I was doing a lot of freelance work and working for that agency and, and really just like getting after it. Like I was I was traveling and, and photographing um, every week. I put 70,000 miles on my truck in a year. Um, we had clients up and down uh, the East Coast and, and just traveled a lot and got to shoot a ton of different outdoor content from we had a, a client that was largely in the waterfowl space and so spent a lot of time in Arkansas and had a few like lifestyle clothing brands in, in like coastal Carolina and, and so kind of developed more of a catalog style for those clients and then had some saltwater fishing clients based in Florida and spent a lot of time in the Keys and, and just got to do a ton of like different outdoor uh, shoots and, and types of types of content development for you know, a dozen different brands or so. Yeah. And I did that for about two and a half years. And um, really, like, I loved it. Like, really loved it. And uh, loved, uh, We end I ended up hiring one of my best friends to come and work with me as, like, producer and talent and second shooter on a lot of things. And uh, we would just, like, drive yeah. all over the place and it was it was awesome man like super stoked on the life that i was living but at that time ended up meeting um meeting the girl that would go on to become my wife and one of the, th the things that i really uh wanted to value long term was like wanting to be uh, a good husband and a father uh, that's worthy of the admiration of his children and sure. like, i don't have kids yet but I think that that means being around yeah. and the job that I was living would mean that like, if I continue on this path, that path, if successful means that I'm traveling a ton mm -hmm. and that maybe that doesn't map towards what I really want out of this life that I have. And that was kind of like a tough thing to start consider to, to consider because it was like, I'm, I was having such a good time yeah. doing what I was doing but then really starting to evaluate like, what is it that I value most and what do I want out of this life? And, and is the program that I'm running right now, the one that I'm going to want to be running mm -hmm. when I'm 35. And so uh, before I got engaged to my now wife, I started really contemplating like, how can I be involved in a field that I'm passionate about, but also gives me the day to day lifestyle that I want of like being around the house. And uh, that's kind of when I started to try to poke around of like, what would it mean to go in-house at a brand? Yeah. And uh, had a pretty short list of brands that I was interested in. And uh, Filson was on that list. Yeah. And I've been at Filson for about a year and a half now. Nice. Yeah. yeah so like my, uh, like, the way that I kind of came to know who you were is just through Jay and Jay mm -hmm. Sisk. We had hired and you're friends with Jay and yep. that's how I got to know who you were. But, um, you were doing some vlogs before you moved to the position at Filson. Right? Yeah. Yeah. What inspired you to start vlogging? Did that help you get your role at Filson? Do you think or not? Cause that was kind of intriguing to me. I feel like you started like rolling these vlogs out and then you were like, boom, at Filson. And I was yeah. like, was there a correlation there or was um, that just like happenstance? 
And what was the inspiration for I th- vlogging? I think I think Filson just viewed it as like a skill set that I had that was intriguing to the position. I haven't migrated that skill set to Filson in any kind of like direct way. Um, but the as far as timeline, that was something um, I was this like in the context of vlogging. This is gonna sound like the most like (laughs) asinine arrogant thing you could say but like the king of vlogging casey neistat on youtube like the guy there were plenty of people that did it before him but he's the guy that like made it popular right yeah okay so i have my whole life i have been like a closet sneakerhead and have been a nike fanboy since my youth okay so for those of you that only know Casey Nice as a vlogger. What you should know is before he did all of that, he used to do a lot of branded content and he would make brand videos. And he did a series of videos for Nike um, between like 2011, 12 that I came across on YouTube that, that I was just like that style of filmmaking I had just never encountered before of these like three minute like shorts that are like very like rapid, like change cut edit music like i was just like this is rad i've never seen anything like this and so i knew about him and was a subscriber to his channel like years before he started the vlog yeah and so when he started i remember like i remember the first like i have watched this exactly one time i am 99% 99% confident if you go to his channel right now and go to vlog 001, he's on a vacation in Bermuda, <laughs> like with his wife. And like, I don't know why I remember that, but I, he's like talking to the camera and there's like blue water behind him. And he's like, I'm going to do this thing where I just talk to my camera every day and just see what happens. <laughs> and I remember watching that being like, this is totally going to work. And I wasn't like deep into YouTube at the time. And so I wasn't aware of like all of the other vloggers that were already doing it. Like that just wasn't on my radar for whatever reason, but because I was a subscriber to his channel and he started doing it, I was like, he used to upload at 8am every day. And so I'd be like at work at my desk being like refreshing, being like, what's he going to do today? (laughs) What's he going to do? And so that was kind of like, I watched him do it for gosh, probably over a year. Um, or maybe even more than that. I don't know. But um, I was like, I wonder if I could do that. And I was like, I started it when I was doing a lot of that agency work in South Carolina and traveling around and like what you would, per- what you could pick up from my Instagram is that I like, I was in Florida and I was in North Carolina and I was in Arkansas. And it's like, I, it's like I would just teleport and do these cool things. <laughs> but that was just not the reality and I would have people DM me and be like, how do you get to do all of this? I was like, well, this is my work and this is what I do for a living and it's rad, but like, it's not everything you see. And so then I started to like matrix the Casey Neistat just documenting his day-to-day life in a way that like told cool stories, but oftentimes was just like dollar pizza, like, this is, this is what I eat for lunch, which is like, that's not cool at all. No. But he made it cool. Because people were like, I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, I wonder if 
if I could do that in my own context and really, if you look back at the first 30 episodes of my vlog, most of them are just me at my computer, like riffing about like what it's actually like to be a photographer. <laughs> and it, they're, they're like not very interesting, but it was, it was honest. And it's like, yeah. I'm going to time-lapse myself while I edit for nine hours. <laughs> and like, that's what being a photographer is yeah. more than <laughs> the things that you see in the end result. And I was like, maybe people will like that and maybe they won't. Um, and I, the thing that, that I did that was different, I didn't put them on YouTube to this day. I do not have a YouTube channel. I, uh, shot my vlogs vertically and put them in Instagram stories, which when I started Instagram stories were like a pretty new feature Yeah, and they still get, much higher engagement than in feed Instagram does now because of new algorithm changes over the past couple of years. But like two and a half years ago, when I started at the episodes on, on my IG feed, like the view rates were just insane. Like I think at that time I probably had like 8,000 followers or something like that. Yeah. And I was getting like 2,500 folks. Yeah. And like, there wasn't the tap to like get out of it feature. No. So like everyone was just watching it <laughs> and the, the level of like feedback that I got of people being like, this is so cool was really kind of astounding to me because it looked different because I was shooting it on a real camera, which at the time like meant a lot more than it does now, sure. I think. Um, but I was just like documenting my day to day. And like I did an episode where we had a huge storm at my house and a tree like fell on the corner of my house and I like had to cut it up and my wheelbarrow <laughs> broke and like I was just like, well, this is what I'm doing today. Or, or, or then sometimes if I was feeling philosophical, I just like turn the camera on my face and be like, this is what I'm thinking about right now. And that like caught a lot of flack for that because some of them were like not cool and like I probably shouldn't have done them, but. <laughs> I did. But like I think that. that was part of what was cool. I know I liked watching them. Yeah. I, I mean, thought you would, like, before you moved to Filson, I thought you were going to, like, start rolling out some some heavy vlogging and, like, full-time and yeah, I, on that front. I really weighed that. Like, really weighed it. Um, and the, and I think it, the downside of that is that you constantly have to have a camera yeah, in your face. Yeah. And, and the reason that I didn't was that, like, I – I like publicly paused the vlog around like episode 27 or so because I got married. Yeah, I remember that. And I was like, I'm going on my honeymoon to Hawaii and I will not vlog. Yeah, this. like chill out. Don't message me. Yeah, I was like <laughs> social media hiatus. Like I will see you later. Um, and then I, I came back and my wife and I were living uh, like together for the first time. And it was like, like vlogging requires so much work. Like people, people don't understand. Like you oh, see yeah. this like 90 second thing. It's like, what goes into making that is just ridiculous. It's like a always on kind of thing. And you're just like looking around your life being like, what am I doing that would be interesting? And I'm, I never like m contrived or like faked things to try to be like clickable or cool or whatever. It was just like, I'm just going to document this thing. And, 
and it, it just t- it just took a lot of time. I'm not a naturally gifted editor, so mm-hmm. it like takes me a long time to edit, <laughs> uh, which is part of the problem. But I'm like two weeks into marriage, and I'm shooting a vlog like in the room that was my office in this loft that we lived in. And my wife was like in the other room and I had kind of like fussed at her to be quiet. So the audio would honey pick up. Shut up. I'm vlogging. Yeah. And it was just like <laughs> my, th- th- that's not cool that yeah. I just did that. Like I'm in a very like critical life stage that I would like to try to go well. So like, yeah, maybe that's way more important than this vlog thing. Sure. And so I did a few more episodes and I like publicly cut it off at uh, vlog 30. Um, and it's curious that in that vlog, I actually say like, this is not the format for me. Maybe I should start a podcast (laughs) and I should have done it much sooner than I did. Uh, lesson learned, but But you still kind of vlog a little bit. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I, I took like a, like a year and a half break. And then I had like a very real, cause my wife and I were like talked about it. And I was like, babe, I, I think I'm going to quit the vlog. Like we need to like focus on us. Like we just got married, but like, we don't know how to be married. Yeah. So like, this is probably important. And this thing requires a lot of my time and energy that I should probably try to spend with you. So like, I'm going to stop this. Yeah. And to be honest, like that was a very tough decision to make because like it was working. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it was really working at that time. Um, but it was like, again, it was, if I say that I value being a good husband, I identified that at that time to be like, this is something that will take time and energy away from me trying to learn how to be a good husband to my new wife. So I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like I sold my vlogging rig, like got out of the game. So I did take like a, a year and a half break. And then probably four or five months ago, I was like, hey babe, what do you think about star vlogging again? She was like, that'd be cool. Go for it. I was like, I think I'm going to start a podcast too. She's like, that sounds rad. Like, let's talk about it. <laughs> and so we did, and she was supportive. And um, I'm not, the, the, first, the first installment of Vlog Life was like much more regular than it is now. Like I sure. don't, I, in my role at Felsen, I don't have the capacity or bandwidth to like daily vlog yeah. um, because it would just be, me sitting at my desk doing things that the, uh, the outside world can't know about until yeah. it comes light. Like it just doesn't work. Sure. Um, but I do them on occasion. I think I'm up to like episode 49 or something like that. Now um, it's fun, man. Like it, it's just a different medium. It's like a creative outlet for me that like no one has control over, but me, Yeah. which is something that I need um, because I, when I have my brand hat on, it's like there's a there's a certain level of like it has to meet this standard and fit this format and be like up to these benchmarks and like all the things but yeah. on, on my own channel like if i vlog something it's just because like i want to like yeah. no one's telling me to do it or telling me what to do yeah I definitely want to get into the brand brand side of things from you but i think the cool thing is that both you and drake vlog and like vlogging is not a new thing but it's pretty unique to the hunting space for whatever reason i mean the hunting world is like always 10 years behind yeah 
like for both of you, you both kind of created it out of like just something you wanted to do. It was very organic, but do you think it's helped you in your current roles in any way, shape, or form to like embark on that journey? I think so. I mean, it, it was a, and like, to be fair, like Drake and I have taken very different avenues within vlogging. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I, I never started a YouTube channel. Um, I think the landscape of vlogging now is different than it was two and a half years ago. Like I still put mine um, on Instagram only. There's some new features on Instagram that make it more viable than it was six months ago. Um, and so I, I, I still think that it's it's worth doing. Um, but I certainly think that uh, it has helped me in the sense that it it stretches me creatively to operate in a medium that doesn't come naturally to me. Sure. I find it to be very difficult working with video um, because it's so dynamic. I'm, I'm, it's I like, like a brain st- exercise. Yeah, I like still photography much more because it makes sense to me because it's static. And it's like settings and light and composition and like... I, you can kind of dictate things a little bit more if you have time. With video, it's just like once the light is on, <laughs> it's kind of like it's all there, yeah. um, which is it, it requires a different type of creativity, which is harder for me to access. Sure. And so I think for me, it, it was a creative challenge. And then from the like showing work to the world kind of way, if you are if you have more tools in your tool belt, that's like a yeah. good thing. Absolutely. What about you, Drake? Yeah, speaking for for the vlogging that I've this I've is, done. This is Steven Drake. He's just <laughs> I've been listening. There's an amazing conversation happening. <laughs> um I guess my reasoning what, for well, what made you want to vlog in the first place? So my probably my main reason for wanting to vlog was purely a creative outlet. I wouldn't say that I was getting bored with photography, but I saw there were so many untold stories that were happening in the hunting and kind of outdoor media space that I was like, that is the life I'm living. And like, no one's telling that. And like, brands don't want to tell that. I'm like, well, why don't I tell that? And kind of like what Greg was saying, like there's no one dictating what you can or can't say. And uh, that's one thing when we're working with brands or, or anybody on video projects, it's like, you know, you do edit one and then they have an opinion and you do edit two and they have, <laughs> oh, you should make this edit that. Mm-hmm. And, but with a vlog, it's like, nope, nobody's making any dictation over what, you know, you do. And so to me, it was, it was a really creative outlet. It was, it was absolute creative freedom. I've done a lot of video work. Um, the last probably five years has primarily been based on photography. And so, so yeah, it was, it was a really awesome place for me to seek inspiration and kind of focus on a new thing that was really challenging and, and unique. And it was, it was more, there was more storytelling applications with that vid, with, with video than I could find in photography. Um, and, and kind of the cool thing with it is that it's really inspired me to get out there and just be a better photographer and continue to tell unique stories. So that, that, that was, that was the primary role of vlogging was, was a creative outlet. Yeah. Second role was to your second kind of hope with it was to be able to kind of give a better behind the scenes look at, at what I do and why I do it and then try to inspire people to get out there and do it. Sure. 
And then uh, third was to was to kind of prove a platform. And yeah, again, kind of like with what Craig was saying, I was like, yeah, Casey, I just that's kind of the the king of logging. He's the one that made it popular. And then I saw Craig doing it, and I was just like, man, like huge potential in the hunting space. Yeah. nobody's doing yeah. that and so i was like man i live a pretty unique interesting life like this is this is like just start filming and yeah. I, I did so yeah i think that's a cool aspect of both of you just like took something from i mean yours was also from casey but like your original one was like outside influence that you adapted to the hunting space yeah. mm-hmm. i think that's a really great way to like create something that's new for hunting yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know if you're unsure of what you should do next maybe like seek outside inspiration, Absolutely. but both of you in both of your cases, like it was something that was true to yourself mm-hmm. and you weren't trying to adapt to the industry. Even though the industry always wants to like try to be like, here's what you should do. Yeah. You know, and that's captivating for people. Cause I know even with myself with Montana wild, we always were like, what do we think is cool? What do we want to do? And that's people like that. It's tougher when you start getting bigger contracts yeah. with brands <laughs> to keep that original aspect yeah but the cool thing in the hunting space is i feel like there's always opportunity and i and i and this is not down talking on the hunting space at all but i always feel like yeah hunting and hunting hunting industry in general in all regards is like we've said this from the get-go from where when i very first got involved was that it is like you say zach 10 years behind every other industry in all regards and how they market in their product and what they offer like everything and so as you say, like, yeah, look outside for inspiration on what you can potentially bring to the table. That was an awesome conversation with Craig just to get to hear his story and some of his insight. And what I actually did was I cut the last 15 minutes of our conversation off and it's going to be its own separate podcast. It's going to be episode 11 and it's going to come right after a amazing episode with Lyle who talks about pricing and all kinds of interesting topics that uh, a starting photographer would want to know. And so what Craig talked about, um, and this is going to be episode 11, um, he goes into how to approach brands and what he looks for when photographers are approaching him. The insight is amazing. Uh, and I think we're probably going to call it episode cheat codes with Craig Francis because it is um, super, super valuable. It's like insider trading you know like you get to hear from a brand manager how he goes about determining who he wants to work with and what's valuable to him and so that should give you some really good insight on how you want to approach brands as a photographer so be looking for that coming down the pipeline another thing that i want to encourage you to do is send us messages with questions that you'd like to have us answer and send those to us on instagram Um, That'll be the best place for us to take in and field those and kind of sort them. And down the road, I just would like to do a podcast where we just answer a bunch of listener questions. So please, um, if you guys have questions so far in the few episodes that we have or just general photography questions, just shoot us a message on Instagram. Say, hey, on the, you know, podcast, can you answer this question? lay it out there for us and we will try to answer a bunch of those in a future podcast so hopefully you guys are enjoying what we're putting out there a lot more in the works if you guys haven't follow us on instagram at the hunting photog and check us out online 
www.thehuntingphotographer.com. Our online course is up and running and it's been doing super, super well. All the students are stoked. So check us out and look for future podcasts coming at you soon.